0: The Mystical City of God, the Incarnation. Book 3, Chapter 16. The Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda, describes the journey of the Blessed Virgin Mary on her way to visit Saint Elizabeth, and her entrance into the house of Zechariah. 200. And Mary rising up in those days, says the sacred text, went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judea, Luke one thirty nine, This rising up of our heavenly Queen signified not only her exterior preparations and setting out from Nazareth on her journey, but it referred to the movement of her spirit and to the divine impulse and command which directed her to arise interiorly from the humble retirement, which she had chosen in her humility. She arose from the feet of the Most High, whose will and pleasure she eagerly sought to fulfill, like the lowliest handmaid who according to the word of David, Psalm 122 2, and keeps her eyes fixed upon the hands of her mistress, awaiting her commands. Arising at the bidding of the Lord she lovingly hastened to accomplish his most holy will, in procuring without delay the sanctification of the precursor of the incarnate word, who was yet held prisoner in the womb of Elizabeth by the bonds of original sin. This was the purpose and object of this journey. Therefore, the princess of heaven arose and proceeded in diligent haste, as mentioned by the evangelist St. Luke. 201. Leaving behind the house of her father and forgetting her people, Psalm forty four eleven. the most chaste spouses, Mary and Joseph, pursued their way to the house of Zechariah in mountainous Judea. It was twenty six leagues distant from Nazareth, and the greater part of the way was very rough and broken unfit for such a delicate and tender maiden. All the convenience at their disposal for the arduous undertaking was a humble beast, on which she began and pursued her journey. Although it was intended solely for her comfort and service, yet Mary the most humble and unpretentious of all creatures, dismounted many times and asked her spouse St. Joseph to share this commodity with her and to lighten the difficulties of the way by making use of the beast her discreet spouse never accepted this offer, and in order to yield somewhat to the solicitations of the heavenly lady, he permitted her now and then to walk with him part of the way, whenever it seemed to him that her delicate strength could sustain the exertion without too great fatigue. But soon he would again ask her, with great modesty and reverence, to accept this slight alleviation. The celestial queen would then obey and seated in the saddle again proceed on her way. 202. Thus alleviating their fatigue by humble and courteous contentions, the Most Holy Mary and Saint Joseph continued on their journey, making good use of each single moment. They proceeded alone, without accompaniment of any human creatures, but all the thousand angels which were set to guard the couch of Solomon, the Most Holy Mary, attended upon them, Canticles 3-7. Although the angels accompanied them in corporeal form, serving their great queen and her most holy son in her womb, they were visible only to Mary. In the company of the angels and of Saint Joseph, the Mother of Grace journeyed along, filling the fields and the mountains with the sweetest fragrance of her presence, and with the divine praises, in which she unceasingly occupied herself. Sometimes she conversed with the angels and alternately with them, sang divine canticles concerning the different mysteries of the divinity and the works of creation and of the incarnation. Thus ever anew the pure heart of the Immaculate Lady was inflamed by the ardors of divine love. In all this her spouse Saint Joseph contributed his share by maintaining a discreet silence, and by allowing his beloved spouse to pursue the flights of her spirit, for lost in highest contemplation he was favored with some understanding of what was passing within her soul. 203. At other times the two would converse with each other and speak about the salvation of souls and the mercies of the Lord, of the coming of the Redeemer, of the prophecies given to the ancient fathers concerning him, and of other mysteries and sacraments of the Most High. Something happened on the way, which caused great wonder in her holy spouse Joseph, he loved his spouse most tenderly with a chaste and holy love, such as had been ordained in him by the special grace and dispensation of the divine love itself, Canticles 2-4. In addition to this privilege, which was certainly not small, the saint was naturally of a most noble and courteous disposition, and his manners were most pleasing and charming, all this produced in him a most discreet and loving solicitude, which was yet increased by the great holiness, which he had seen from the beginning in his spouse and which was ordained by heaven as the immediate object of all his privileges. Therefore the saint anxiously attended upon Most Holy Mary and asked her many times whether she was tired or fatigued, and in what he could serve her on the journey. But as the Queen of Heaven already carried within the virginal chamber the divine fire of the incarnate Word, Holy Joseph, without fathoming the real cause, experienced in his soul new reactions proceeding from the words and conversations of his beloved spouse. He felt himself so inflamed by divine love and imbued with such exalted knowledge of the mysteries touched upon in their conversations, that he was entirely renewed and spiritualized by this burning interior light. The farther they proceeded and the more they conversed about these heavenly things, so much the stronger these affections grew, and he became aware that it was the words of his spouse which thus filled his heart with love and inflamed his will with divine ardor. 204. So great were these new sensations, that the prudent Joseph could not help but pay the greatest attention to them. Although he knew that all this came to him through the mediation of most holy Mary, and although it was a wonderful consolation to him that she was the cause, he meditated upon it without curiosity and on account of his great modesty, he did not dare to ask her any questions. The Lord having ordained it thus for it was not yet time that he should know the sacrament of the king, which was already completed in her virginal womb. The heavenly princess beheld the interior of her spouse, knowing all that passed within his soul, and in her prudence she reflected how it would naturally be unavoidable that he should come to know of her pregnancy for there would be no possibility of concealing it from her most beloved and chaste spouse. The great lady did not know at the time how God would arrange this matter, yet although she had not received any announcement or command to conceal this mystery, her heavenly prudence and discretion taught her that it would be proper to conceal it as a great sacrament, greater than all other mysteries. Therefore she kept it secret saying not a word about it to her husband, neither after the message of the angel, nor during this journey, nor later on during the anxieties occasioned to St. Joseph at becoming aware of her pregnancy. 205. O admirable discretion and prudence more than human! The great queen resigned herself entirely to the divine providence, hoping that God would arrange all things, yet she felt anxiety and pain at the thought of what her husband might think— and of her inability to do anything in order to dissipate his anxiety. This anxiety was increased by the attentive care and services lavished by him upon her with so much love and affection, since his faithful services certainly deserved a corresponding return on her part, as far as was prudently possible. Therefore, in loving solicitude and in pursuance of her desires to solve this coming difficulty— she prayed to the Lord asking him to grant his divine assistance and guidance to St. Joseph when the time should arrive. In this state of suspense in which she found herself, Her Highness performed great and heroic acts of faith, hope and charity, of prudence, humility, patience and fortitude, in viewing all her activity with the plenitude of holiness and in all things reaching the summit of perfection. 206 this journey was the first pilgrimage begun by the divine word, four days after he had entered the world. For his most ardent love would not suffer any longer delay or procrastination in enkindling the fire which he came to scatter in the world, Luke twelve forty nine, and in beginning his justification of mortals with his precursor. This haste he communicated also to his holy mother, in order that she might arise without delay and fly on her visit to Elizabeth. LUKE one thirty nine, The most heavenly lady on this occasion served as the couch of the true Solomon, but much more richly adorned and more elegant than Solomon himself infers in the canticles, canticles 3 9. Therefore this journey was glorious and occasioned great joy to the only begotten of the Father. For he traveled at his ease in the virginal chamber of his mother, enjoying the sweet tokens of her love. At the time she alone was the archive of this treasure, the secretary of so great a sacrament and she adored him, blessed and admired him, spoke and listened to him and answered him, she reverenced him and thanked him for herself and for all the human race much more than all the men and the angels together. 207. In the course of the journey, which lasted four days, The two holy pilgrims Mary and Joseph exercised not only the virtues which were interior and had God for their immediate object, but also many other outward acts of charity toward their neighbors, for Mary could not remain idle at the sight of want. They did not find the same hospitable treatment at all the inns of the road, for some of the innkeepers, being more rude, treated them with slight consideration in accordance with their natural disposition others received them with true love inspired by divine grace. But the mother of mercy denied to no one such help as she could administer, and therefore whenever she could decently do so, she hastened to visit and hunt up the poor infirm and afflicted, helping them and consoling them and curing their sicknesses. I will not stop to relate all that happened on the way but will only mention the good fortune of a poor sick girl whom our great queen found in passing through a town on the first day of her journey. She was moved to tenderest compassion at the sight of her grievous illness, and making use of her power as mistress of the creatures she commanded the fever to leave the maiden and the humors to recompose and reduce themselves to their natural state and condition. At this command and at the sweet presence of the purest mother, The sick maiden was suddenly freed and healed from her pains of body and benefited in soul, so that afterwards she lived more and more perfectly and attained the state of sanctity, for the image of the authoress of her happiness remained stamped within her memory, and her heart was enkindled with a great love toward the heavenly lady, although she never saw her again nor was the miracle ever made public. 208. Having pursued their journey four days, the Most Holy Mary and her spouse arrived at the town of Judah, where Zachary and Elizabeth lived. This was the special and proper name of the place, where the parents of St. John lived for a while, and therefore the evangelist St. Luke specifies it, calling it Judah, although the commentators have commonly believed that this was not the name of the town in which Elizabeth and Zachariah lived, but simply the name of the province, which was called Judah or Judea just as for the same reason the mountains south of Jerusalem were called the mountains of Judea. But it was expressly revealed to me that the town was called Judah and that the evangelist calls it by its proper name, although the learned commentators have understood by this name of Judah the province, in which that town was situated. This confusion arose from the fact that some years after the death of Christ the town Judah was destroyed— and as the commentators found no trace of such a town, they inferred that St. Luke meant the province and not a town, thus the great differences of opinion in regard to the place where Most Holy Mary visited Elizabeth are easily explained. 209. As holy obedience has enjoined upon me the duty of clearing up these doubts on account of the strange inconsistency in the sayings of learned men, I will also add to what I have already said, That the house in which the visitation took place was built upon the very spot on which the faithful pilgrims who now travel to or live in the holy land venerate the divine mysteries transacted during the visit although the town of judah itself where the house of Zacharias stood is ruined the lord did not permit the memory of the venerable locality in which those great mysteries transpired and were hallowed by the footsteps of most holy mary of Christ our Lord, and of the Baptist as well as of his holy parents, to be blotted out and effaced from the memory of men. Therefore it was by divine influence, that the ancient Christians built up those churches and restored the holy places, in order to preserve by the agency of divine light the traditional truth, and to renew the memory of the admirable sacraments. Thus we ourselves the faithful of our times, can enjoy the blessing of venerating and worshipping the sacred localities, proclaiming and confessing our Catholic faith in the works of our redemption. 210. For the better understanding of these things, let it be remembered that after the demon had become aware on Calvary that Christ our Lord was God and the Redeemer of men, he sought with incredible fury to blot out the remembrance of him from the land of the living, as Jeremiah says, Jeremiah eleven nineteen and the same is to be said of the memory of his most holy mother. Thus he managed to have the most holy cross hidden and buried underground and to have it delivered as spoil of war to the Persians, and in the same way he procured the ruin and obliteration of many holy places. On this account the holy angels carried back and forth so many times the venerable and holy house of Loreto, for the same dragon who pursued the heavenly lady, Revelations 12, 13, had already excited the minds of the inhabitants of that land to tear down and raise to the ground that most sacred oratory, which had been the workshop of the Most High in the mystery of the incarnation. The same astute hatred of the enemy urged him to blot out the town of Judah, aided partly by the negligence of the inhabitants who gradually died off, partly also by untoward events and happenings. Yet the Lord did not allow all traces of the house of Zachary to be effaced or obliterated, on account of the sacraments which were enacted there. 211. This town was distant from Nazareth, as I have said twenty-six leagues and about two leagues from Jerusalem, and it was situated in that part of the Judean mountains where the stream Sork takes its rise. After the birth of St. John and the return of the Most Holy Mary and her spouse Joseph to Nazareth, St. Elizabeth received a divine revelation that a great calamity and slaughter was impending over the infants of Bethlehem and its vicinity. And though this revelation was indeterminate and unclear, it nevertheless induced the mother of St. John to take herself with her husband Zachariah to Hebron which was eight leagues more or less from Jerusalem, for they were rich and noble, and they had dwellings not only in Judah and Hebron but they had houses and possessions also in other places when the most holy Mary and Joseph were on their way flying from Herod to Egypt Matthew 2:14 after the birth of the word and some months after the birth of Saint John Saint Elizabeth and Zacharias were in Hebron Zacharias died 4 months after our Lord was born which was 10 months after the birth of his son John It seems to me I have now sufficiently solved this doubt, and it ought to be evident that the house of the visitation was neither in Jerusalem, nor in Bethlehem, nor in Hebron, but in the town called Judah. I saw that this is the true explanation, which was made known to me by divine light together with the other mysteries of this heavenly history, afterwards when I was constrained by obedience to ask about this matter, a holy angel again made the same declaration to me. 212. It was at this city of Judah and at the house of Zechariah that most holy Mary and Joseph arrived. In order to announce their visit, Saint Joseph hastened ahead of Mary and calling out saluted the occupants of the house, saying,
1: The Lord be with you and fill your souls with divine grace.
0: Elizabeth was already forewarned, for the Lord himself had informed her in a vision that Mary of Nazareth had departed to visit her. She had also in this vision been made aware that the Heavenly Lady was most pleasing in the eyes of the Most High, while the mystery of her being the Mother of God was not revealed to her until the moment when they both saluted each other in private. But Saint Elizabeth immediately issued forth with a few of her family, in order to welcome Most Holy Mary who is the more humble and younger in years, hastened to salute her cousin saying, The Lord be with you my dearest cousin." And Elizabeth answered, The same Lord reward you for having come in order to afford me this pleasure. With these words they entered the house of Zechariah, and what happened next I will relate in the following chapter. Instructions which our Queen and Lady gave me. 213.
1: My daughter, Whenever the creature holds in proper esteem the good works and the services which the Lord commands for his glory, it will feel within itself great facility of operation, great sweetness in undertaking them, and a readiness and alacrity in continuing and pursuing them. These different feelings then give testimony of their being truly useful and commanded by God. But the soul cannot experience these affections, if it is not altogether devoted to the Lord, keeping its gaze fixed upon his divine pleasure, hearing of it with joy, executing it with eagerness and forgetting its own inclination and conveniences. The soul must be like the faithful servant, who seeks to do only the will of his master and not his own. This is the manner of obeying which is fruitful and which is due from all the creatures to their God and much more from all the religious, who explicitly promise this kind of obedience. In order that you, my dearest, may attain to it perfectly, remember with what esteem David in many places speaks of the precepts, Psalm 118 of the sayings and of the justifications of the Lord, and remember the effects which they caused in that prophet and even now in the souls. He says that they make the infants wise, Psalm 18.8, rejoice the heart of men, Psalm 18.9, that they enlighten the eyes of the soul so that they become a most brilliant light for its footsteps, Psalm 118.105, that they are sweeter than honey, Psalm 18.11, and more desirable and more estimable than the most precious stones. This promptitude and subjection to the divine will and to his laws, made David so conformable to the heart of God. These are the kind of souls his majesty seeks for his servants and friends, 1 Kings 13.14 and Acts 13.22. 214. Attend therefore my daughter, with all solicitude to the works of virtue and perfection which you know to be desirable in the eyes of the Lord. Despise none of them nor withdraw from any of them and cease not to exercise them, no matter how violently your inclinations and your weakness should oppose their exercise. Trust in the Lord and proceed to put them into execution, and soon his power will overcome all difficulties. Soon you will also know by happy experience how light is the burden and how sweet is the yoke of the Lord, Matthew 11.13. He did not deceive us when he spoke those words, as might be argued by the tepid and the negligent, who in their torpidity and distrust tacitly repudiate the truth of this statement. I wish also that you, in order to imitate me in this perfection, take notice of the favor which the divine condescension granted to me in furnishing me with a most sweet love and affection for the creatures as participants in the divine goodness and existence. In this love I sought to console, alleviate, and enliven all the souls, and by a natural compassion I procured all spiritual and corporeal goods for them. To none of them, no matter how great sinners they might have been, did I wish any evil. On the contrary I was urged by the great compassion of my tender heart to procure for them eternal salvation. From this also arose my anxiety concerning the grief, which was to grow out of my pregnancy to my spouse St. Joseph, for to him I owed more than to all other creatures. Tender compassion filled my heart especially for the suffering and the infirm, and I tried to obtain some relief for all. In these virtues then I wish that you, making use of the knowledge of them given to you, most prudently imitate me.